0: Good morning, happy Sunday to you. A couple of years ago, I think about three years ago at this point, Finley, our oldest daughter, who was about seven or eight months at the time, it was Christmas, and Christina and I were driving back from my grandparents a day or two after Christmas. Um, they live outside of Charlotte, and it's pretty much a little over two and a half, about a little over two-hour drive, and you just take 40 west to get there, take 40 east to come back. And so Finley, who is a great, easy kid, doesn't sleep very well, Um, and so we were trying to leave to make this drive during her nap time, and uh, my younger brother was with us as well, and so Christina was driving. Logan, my brother, was in the front seat. I was in the back seat with Finley, and I had my iPad playing a game or reading a book, whatever, and I just said, go to 40, and take it, and that's how we get home. And so I directed Christina how to get to 40. There was 40. I said, take that, you know, on-ramp, and we'll be good. Uh, Right before the on-ramp, however, she took a wrong turn onto a side street. No big deal. I just said, turn around, go back on 40, and we're good. And so she turns around on the side street. I stopped paying attention. We're on 40. Everything's good. About an hour into the trip, we're supposed to be about halfway home. I look up out the window from my iPad, And realize this does not look familiar to me. I've driven this countless times growing up, so I had this sinking feeling. And then I came to the realization that we were going west instead of east. And so what should have been a two hour and 15 minute drive was now going to take four and a half hours. And so I'm like, oh, this is good. And so I tell Christina, you're going the wrong way, to which she does not say very nice things to me, uh, partly because what I did not tell you is Christina was adamant about using the GPS. And I said, you don't need a GPS. I'll tell you how to get a 40, and you just go home. And so that wasn't fun. Uh, so that, that was really great, and uh, the trip was just awesome, and we got home. We had to get home because we had something to do that night. But the pro- here was the problem, right? I uh, lost focus, or so I was not paying attention to where we were supposed to be going, right? I kind of told Christina, here's where we're supposed to be going. I stopped paying attention. I stopped losing focus. And so we were going somewhere, but as it turns out, we were actually going in the wrong direction, and so the question that we're going to look at this morning is simply this. What are you focusing on in your life? Are you actually focusing on the right things? And maybe, like in my situation, we had the right end goal in mind, but we were I was not paying attention enough to actually get to where I wanted to go. What are you focusing on in your life, and is it actually something worth pursuing, Or is it something that you're just kind of going with the flow with, and it's actually not going to lead you to where you want to go? That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible or a phone, you can grab one of the black ones in front of you. And if you do not own a Bible, you can take one of those black ones home. That is our gift to you. We are picking back up in our Masterclass series where Paul, who is the author of this letter to the church in Corinth, which is in modern-day Greece, within 20 years of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Again, we're calling this series Masterclass because he's talking about all the different ways the gospel impacts various avenues in our life. Um, To get you caught up to speed, uh, the beginning part of chapter 9 is Paul essentially telling the Corinthians hey, look, uh, You should—it it is, it is uh, a good thing to pay pretty much ministers, pastors, people who are planting these churches. However, in Paul's case, uh, he was a tent maker. He provided his own way. And so while he's saying it is a good thing to support financially those who are equipping the saints, I actually withheld from your support when I was in, in Corinth for your own good. Not, that, not because I did not uh, deserve or shouldn't get your support, but because I didn't want to be a burden to you. And so it, it was, it's with that in mind that he says this, starting in verse 19. He says, although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people, and so literally saying, listen, none of you guys paid me, and so therefore, I do not owe you anything. I don't have to capitulate to anybody's demands because nobody paid me to do this. I did this all on my own. However, in spite of that, I have still made myself a slave or a servant to other people. In other words, he's doing this for their benefit. He's calling to mind passages like Mark chapter 10, where Jesus said that he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That is what Paul is saying here. I just want to ask this question real quick as we get into this text this morning, that if you are a follower of Christ, what does this look like for you? What does it look like for you to lay aside your preferences for the good of your family, uh, for the good of your coworkers, for the good of your friends, so that other people might be able to see and experience Jesus like you have done? What does it look like for you? Maybe if you've been around New City this year, you know we're talking about our, our Just One campaign, about just being intentional with at least one person in your life. What would it look like for you to lay aside your preferences and your desires for the good of that person? That's what Paul is saying here, and he gives an example of what this looks like starting in verse 20. He says, "'To the Jews I became like a Jew.'" to win win Jews. To those under the law, uh, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. What is he saying there? That although he is a Jewish person with the coming of Christ, uh, we are no longer uh, bound to many of the laws in the Old Testament. But Paul is saying, even in spite of that, when I'm around Jewish people, which part of the Corinthian church were Jews, he says, I'm going to fulfill and follow the law for their benefit. Even though I know that I do not have to do all of these things, I will put aside my preferences so that that I can build relationships with them. Or, verse 21, to those who are without the law, so those who are non Jewish or Gentiles, uh, like one without the law, though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ to win those without the law. So, what he says there, he's still under God's law, so he's not going to sin, but when he's around those who are not Jews, those who are Gentiles, he's going to adopt their preferences. He's going to do what they want to do. Why? To build relationships with them so that they can see and experience. Jesus verse 22 here's ultimately what he's trying to say to the weak i became weak in order to win the weak i had become all things to all people so that i may be i may by every possible means save some. Again, Paul does whatever is necessary to show the love of Christ. If you're here in the series a few weeks ago, when he talks about becoming weak, he's talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, where there's the, 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 the meat that is sacrificed to idols. A lot of the, the pagan idols had basically had butcher shops around them, and there's debates about whether or not Christians could eat that meat. Paul essentially says, yes, you can. However, because for conscience' sake, for many of the people, they could not eat that meat uh, without food feeling guilty or feeling convicted in some way, Paul says, I will refrain from eating the meat. I will become, I will take the weaker stance, if you will, for the good of other people. And so here's what we really need to know as we get into this this morning. And if I could change his wording a little bit for our context, I think this is what Paul would tell us as we read this passage, that your happiness is not the goal of the Christian life. And here's what I mean it's not about pursuing whatever you want to do uh, for your own happiness. Instead, it's about putting other people before yourself. And in our culture today, uh, this is really poignant to us because what are we told all the time? That it's about you. It's about what you want. It's not about what other people think. Don't let other people tell you what to do. It's all about you. Now, if you're a follower of Christ, uh, you often would say, yeah, I know that's not true, and I do want to love and serve other people. However, if we're being honest, there are times in all of our lives where because we live in the culture that we live in, we are still pursuing our happiness, right? We're still pursuing what we want to do because we are told that what you do, what you want, your happiness is the goal. And what Paul is saying is here is simply this, that your happiness is not the goal, right? And Well, here's the irony of all of this, that we are told in our culture that it's about you and what you want and your happiness and don't listen to anyone else. And yet we have objective empirical evidence that cannot be refuted, that we are the most depressed, we have the most anxiety, and the highest suicide rates in human history happening in Western civilization today. Now, of course, some of that is not all about people pursuing happiness and not getting it, but a large percentage of it is simply us being told that we got to get whatever we want to get, but then we can't get it, and so we're anxious and we're depressed. In other words, this whole idea of living for ourselves is literally killing us. Living for yourself, this idea is literally killing you. Now, to be sure, this is not, this is not to say that you can't have passions, that you can't uh, have pr- uh, things that you want to pursue, hobbies, that sort of thing. However, if, it, if, it, if you are pursuing your passion at all costs, That is when the issues arise. When you say, I want that thing, no matter who it may hurt, no matter who may get in my way, that is when we start to have problems. And so as we look at this text, I think Paul would tell us in our culture today that you and I need to know that our happiness, that your happiness is not the goal of the Christian life. And so the question is, what is the goal? Or why does Paul live this way? Why is he telling us that we should emulate him as he does this? He says this in verse 23. Now I do all of this because of the gospel, so that I may share in its blessings. In other words, Paul says this. If we could put it in our language again, our mission at New City Church, which is on the wall right there, is simply this to help people meet Jesus and grow in a relationship with him. That is why Paul does this. And so let me just explain the gospel so they're all on the same page here. The gospel is not you try really hard, and with Jesus' benefit, with his death, burial, and resurrection, uh, hopefully you're good enough to get into heaven. Now, the gospel is that you and I are not good enough on our own. There's something that we could do to earn God's love and grace, and yet in spite of all of that, God chose by sending Jesus, his son, to give us what we do not deserve, to give us grace. That is the gospel. The gospel is you did nothing to deserve it. It's simply about following and trusting in Jesus. It's not about believing God exists. It's not even about believing that Jesus could be God. It's actually about trusting and following him, which means if you do place your trust and hope in Jesus, regardless of who you are, what you have done, or what you will do, there is grace and mercy and favor upon you, not because of you, Because of him, the gospel is that we receive a gift that we do not deserve, not because of us, but because of Jesus. And so I want to make clear uh, something real quick. I think sometimes when we read passages like this, we look at Paul, we look at people who maybe be in ministry, and we assume that they're going to go to heaven or that they deserve to go to heaven because they're good people. Right? They do nice things, they love other people, but what you and I need to understand from this passage is that Paul is not laying down his life, and if you're familiar with Paul, he was beaten multiple times, he was shipwrecked, he was starved, he was jailed. He did not do all these things in order to go to heaven. The reason he did these things is because he already knew where he was going. Right? He already knew that the reward that, that is awaiting him, and he wanted other people to experience it as well. This is not about being a good person so that God will love you and give you grace and forgiveness. It's about saying, okay, you know what? Because God has given me this amazing gospel, that it's not about me, but about him— that I want other people, I'm going to do whatever I can to help as many people as possible in my own way and the people that I influence to help them also receive this gift as well, that Jesus loves them, cares for them, died for them, and gave his life for him. So that is Paul's motivation, to be clear. It's not to be a good person. It's not even necessarily to be an example, although he is for us, but ultimately he does this because he knows what awaits him, and he wants to bring others along for the journey. Galatians chapter 2, There's it's all over the, the scriptures. I'll read these, this passage real quick. It'll also be on the screen. Paul is also the author of Galatians just to show us that it's not about us but about Jesus. He says this, we are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. So Galatians was written to a primary Jewish audience. Uh, They would have viewed Gentiles as race or kind of as modern terms. uh, There was a lot of racism in the ancient world, even in ancient Christianity. So the Jews and the Gentiles were kind of opposed to each other. So a lot of Jews would view Gentiles as sinners. And so Paul is speaking directly to the Jewish people here. Uh, He says, and yet, because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. And so even though the Jews were the chosen people, it still has to come down to this. What have you done with Jesus? Uh, uh, He continues on by saying this, um, this was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. And so again, the gospel is not you trying really hard and you being a good person. The gospel is about what Christ has done for us. And in response, we have to answer this question. Do we trust and believe Jesus is who he says he is? Or are we trying to still earn God's favor on our own? One more passage real quick uh, that you may be familiar familiar with. It's pretty well known. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul also writes this. For you are saved by grace through faith and this is not from yourselves right it's not about you trying really hard instead it is god's gift not from works so that no one can boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which god prepared ahead of ahead of time for us to do and so it doesn't it's not to say that how we live doesn't matter but how we live is a, it flows out of what we've done with Jesus not the other way around in other words Paul could be saying this that Paul is not doing this he's not laying down his life for other people for his own fulfillment or even his own salvation instead again he has experienced the goodness of God knows what awaits him and he wants to share and have others join in on this treasure that he has found that he's experienced something amazing and he wants other people to know that this grace is also available to them should they choose to follow Jesus and should they choose to receive it. And have you ever been in a situation, I'll give you an example of this, uh, of when you experience something awesome and you just wanted to tell other people, not to get on their good side, not to get anything from them because it was just awesome. You're like, you have to know, right? So maybe you watched a show and you thought it was awesome and so you told a bunch of people. Or you read a book or you went to a restaurant or you bought something and it changed your life. You often go and tell other people because you're like, hey, this is great, and I want you to experience it. This is what Paul's is doing. Uh, Brian, who's on staff here at New City, he was saying how uh, an example of this in his life a few years ago when he still lived in Michigan, uh, it was Father's Day, and, and the Dick's Sporting Goods website, had they messed up, and they put these hex bars on sale for about $5. Now, if you don't know what a hex bar is, here's a picture of one. These are workout equipment that you can put weights on. Uh, Typically, they're they're over $100 each. And for some reason, uh, Dick's Sporting Goods had set them to $5 and the shipping was free. Uh, And if you're wondering how you actually use one of these to work out, uh, someone got a picture of me at the Y, I think, the other day. And so that's what it looks like. Uh, You know, you put weights on it, and, you know, that was just a little warm-up that I was doing. Um, And so that's what a hex bar is, and they're expensive, right? And so Brian was like, oh, this is awesome. He didn't even need one or even want one, but he bought like five to seven of them for his friends just because they were cheap, and just so he could give it to them. Why? Not to gain their favor, because he had found something awesome, and he wanted to share it. And so here's what we need to know this morning. Here's why it's important for us to know that our happiness is not the goal. Here's why. Because Jesus is the goal, That is the goal of what we're doing here. We're not, we don't gather on Sundays to kind of make ourselves feel good, to kind of hope with with Jesus' sacrifice and our good works that together, maybe God will forgive us. No, Jesus has done everything that we could ever want or imagine or even do. He has done it. We say this around here at New City Church that because of Jesus and his sacrifice and what he has done, that if you are in Christ, you have nothing to prove and you have no one to impress, not because of you, but because of him. Jesus is the goal. The goal is not, being a good person. The goal is not pursuing your own happiness. The goal is even not not sinning. Right? The goal is not sec- sinning sexually or not being greedy or not gossiping. The goal is Jesus. And if you focus on Jesus and if you follow him, the rest of these things in your life will be impacted and will change. You will not be perfect, but you will be impacted by Jesus. And, and if you do the opposite, Right? If you try to focus on your own good behavior, you will fall short, you will get frustrated, and will likely often lead you to even giving up because you know that you cannot live up to this perfect standard. Instead, we ought to focus on Jesus, and when we do that, that is when our desires change, that is when our actions change. It is about Jesus, not what we do. It's about following Jesus. Jesus is the goal, and if we actually set our eyes on him, Some of the things that Paul says here don't seem as crazy because, again, he's not doing this to be a good person. He's doing this because he's seen and experienced Jesus. He knows Jesus is the goal, and he wants other people to experience Jesus as well. And so he continues in verse 24, the second half of this section, to kind of give an analogy of what this actually can look like. He says this in verse 24. He says, "'Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize?' Run in such a way to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we, an imperishable crown. So I do not run like the one who runs aimlessly or box like the one beating the air. So uh, the, the images that would have come up into the Corinthians' mind is the Isthmian Games, which were held every two years in Corinth. In the ancient world, they were second only to the Olympics as the biggest game in the ancient world. Again, happened every two weeks in Corinth. And so in this section, Paul is using two of the, uh, uh, two of the games in the games or two of the competitions in the games to make an analogy. He talks about running and boxing to show what his goal is, right? To ultimately to submit his life to something greater, right? These athletes submit themselves to training and to eating right and to the rigors of whatever it took to compete in those games. And Paul is saying, so it is for followers of Christ that we do that with our lives, for something greater. And here's the difference that these athletes in these games did this for a perishable crown, right? They did it for something that did not last, that was great to win, but would not last forever. However, if you are in Christ, you are living your life. And if you are not in Christ, the invitation for you is to come and to live your life for a imperishable crown, for a crown that will not go away. Instead of focusing on something that, that will not last forever, uh, like a wreath that they would have won, instead focus on something that will last forever forever. In other words, he's saying this, don't live your life pointlessly. Don't live your life pointlessly. And so I think if Paul was here, here's what he would tell us to do from this text, that you should run a race worth winning. That you're all. we're all on this cycle of life, this journey of life. We're all in this race. The, the, so the question is not, are you running for something? The question is what it is. And are you run, running something that is worth winning, that you and I ought to be running a race worth winning. And here's what this looks like, right? Let me give you an example of what this looks like. Here at New City Church, uh, we have five values. And I think sometimes what I don't want us to to come in here and to think is to always be discouraged. You need to know this morning that if you are in Christ, God loves you, he is pleased with you, he sees your faithfulness, and he loves that. And so it's not about doing these things because we feel guilty. It's instead it's about doing everything we can to continue to grow closer to Jesus. And many of you are already doing these things, and I just wanna applaud you and say thank you. Let's I wanna encourage you to keep running a race worth winning. And so we have five values here at New City Church. Here's what this looks like for us as a church. Number one is this: we believe that Jesus changes everything. So what does it look like to run a race worth winning? First of all, it says, are you even focused on the right goal? And so we at New City Church, we encourage, we want everybody to meet Jesus and grow in a relationship with him. If you do not know Jesus, maybe today is the day that you actually put your faith and trust in something that is worthwhile. And if you have put your faith in Jesus, we encourage you to take your next step of baptism. We have a baptism service coming up here in a few weeks. Uh, so I'm going to encourage you, if you have not been baptized, be baptized. Not because baptism saves you, but is a representation of what has gone on in your life. That you have dead to your, you're, you're dead to your old life, to your sins, and you're raised to new life in Christ. And so, if you have not been baptized, whether you've been a follower of Jesus for a week or 20 years. Christ commands us to get baptized, to show others what he has done in our life. We believe Jesus changes everything. We also believe that you can't do life alone, which is why at New City Church, we encourage community groups, right? We encourage you to have community in your life, because if you have community in your life, you're more likely to be encouraged when life gets difficult, you're more likely to follow Jesus when life is hard, and you also have the ability to love and encourage other people, right? If you want a race worth winning, you've got to have people in your life that can help you stay in line when you stray. You can't do life alone, so we encourage encourage, again, for you to join a community group. If you're doing that, you're more, more likely to be on the right path. Thirdly, we believe that loved people love people. In other words, we value this idea of service. One of the best ways to ensure that you are not living life for yourself is to lay down your life and to serve other people. Or we invite everybody that calls New City Church home to get involved in serving. It's also one of the best ways to build community and get to know other people that love people love people. If you've experienced the love of Christ, you and I, because of that, in response to That ought to love other people. Fourthly, at New City Church, we believe that grateful people give. We have a financial value here at New City Church, and we are not ashamed of it. Why? Jesus talks about money more than he talks about anything else. Why? In his own words, he says, What you do with your money guides your heart, right? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so, if you want to run a race worth winning, part of that is being generous with your money. We say this all the time. But if you want to grow closer to Jesus, and I think most people would say, Yeah, I would want to do that. The quickest way to do that is to grow in your generosity because nothing will make you trust in Christ more than, than giving him one of the few things that we feel like we have control over in this life. And so we value financial generosity, and I always say this as well. I do not care about your money. I couldn't care less about your money, but I care about your heart. And Jesus says what we do with our money guides our Heart. And so we believe being generous. Are you generous? That will help you run a race worth winning. And lastly, move people multiply. It's our value of multiplication. Uh, this is where the Just One campaign comes in. Again, if you're a New City Church uh, partner here, you know we've been talking about it this year. What does it look like for you to share your faith, to love, to serve, it, to encourage just one person? And if we do that, listen, new City, we will add as many services as we need to in this space until we find a new one so that we can help as many people as possible meet Jesus and grow in a relationship with Him. So as a side note, if you are new here uh, in the past couple of weeks, I want to encourage you to come back next week, come to our partnership class, so you can actually find out if this is a place that you want to join in with your race. I say this all the time because it's true. If you're just coming to New City and you're not sure this is a church for you, I would love to give you a list to connect you with other churches, because it is not about New City. It is about Jesus, and we want to make sure we are running a race worth winning. Our belief here at New City Church that if you are involved in those things, you will probably likely be doing something worth winning, that you will be making a difference here in your community, in your church, of helping people meet Jesus and grow in a relationship with him. Because if we are not running a race worth winning, we are going to miss out on what God has for us. There's a poem, and you may have heard of it. I'm going to read it real quick. It's called The Right Season. And this poem kind of encapsulates, I think, our culture today of going from thing to thing to thing and trying to pursue happiness. Instead of pursuing a worthy goal, and then we end up missing out. The poem goes like this It was spring, but it was summer I wanted, the warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall I wanted, the colorful leaves and the cool, dry air. It was fall, but it was winter I wanted, the beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was winter, but it was spring I wanted, the warmth and the blossoming of nature. Uh, I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted, the freedom and respect. I was 20 but it was 30 I wanted to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted, the youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle-aged I wanted, the presence of mine without limitations. My life was over, and I never got what I wanted. Are you running a race worth winning, or are you pursuing something that cannot even satisfy you, even if you were actually to achieve it? That is the question for us, which is why Paul ends this section by saying this in verse 27. He says, instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control, so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. In other words, he does all these things for the good of people. He puts, he loves people, he serves people, so that he will not be Uh, disqualified before he stands before Christ. Now, there is some debate about what Paul means in this passage, but it seems likely, especially given the context of 1 Corinthians that he's giving this spiritual analogy, that he is striving in his life to honor Jesus, and he lives his life in such a way to fight sin. He is not perfect. He is human just like us, but he wants to fight sin and love other people so that after preaching, after being an example, after telling people about Jesus, he will not be disqualified. Now, the debate here is, what is he talking about being disqualified? It seems likely giving uh, 1 Corinthians as a whole, whole, especially if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and chapter 3, that he's not talking about losing salvation here. Instead, as he, he writes to Corinthians, He's actually quite uh, clear to them uh, that they are following Jesus. He's he's disappointed in, in how that's kind of playing out in some of their lives, but he's not questioning their salvation. Instead, what he's likely saying is, I do not want to stand before Jesus and be disqualified from the rewards that are awaiting me. Now, here's what we know about the Christian life. We do not know what heaven, the kingdom of God, is going to be totally like, and we do know that we are saved by faith, not by our works. However, your faithfulness and how you and I live will actually play a part in how we experience God's kingdom, that there will be roles and responsibilities for us to do, and our faithfulness will change what we actually have going on. Now, there's not going to be envy. There's not going to be jealousy. There's not going to be uh, angry that somebody's doing something that we're not. That's not going to be there, but what he's saying is this. I do not want to stand before Jesus and lose out on the rewards that were awaiting me because I was not faithful, because I was not being intentional with how I live. In other words, here is why you and I need to run a race worth winning. Because if you run the wrong race, you'll win the wrong thing. If you run the wrong race, you'll win the wrong thing. Let's talk about our personal happiness here for a second, right? Most of us, We'll never achieve that happiness. Like, we might have it in seasons or days or weeks or maybe an hour here or there, but overall, we're probably not as happy as we would want to be, and so you're going to spend your whole life pursuing something that you can't even achieve, right? And this is what, not to be all fire and brimstone, but we just want to be honest to you this morning, this is literally what hell is, Hell is literally God giving people over to their desires. It's not a place that he desires to send people. It's not a place that he's happy for people to go. Instead, Jesus says this in the Gospels, right, that he desires, that God desires all people come to repentance and know him, that we were created ultimately for a relationship with God, and our joy, hope, happiness, and satisfaction will only be found in him. We will not be found in this life to the totality that it will in God's kingdom because there's pain and suffering, but one day, if you are in Christ, you will experience the joys and the longings of your heart when you are in God's kingdom, right? And so if you run the wrong race, you'll win the wrong thing. We've got to make sure we're focusing on the right thing. In other, or other words, or what I'm trying to say, otherwise, We'll end up in the wrong place, right? And it's not because we wanted to be there; it's because we weren't focused on where we were. I remember uh, last year, uh, one of the times Christine and I were seeing, seeing our marriage counselor. Which, by the way, whether it's personal, I've seen counselors multiple times for my dad's. Uh, when, I, when my dad died uh, when I was 19, uh, for our marriage, I would, if I could afford it, I would go twice a month. Once for me, once for our marriage. I would go all the time. So Just as a side note, if you need help. You need to get help, and you do not need to be ashamed by talking to someone that actually can help you, right? And so we were talking, and I remember this, he, I'd never heard this before, never heard this before, and he was, we were, I don't know how we got on the subject, but, but our counselor was saying, um, you know, I don't think when you get to heaven, when you meet Jesus, he's going to ask you Uh, Whether or not you got divorced, right? If you're a Christian, like obviously, divorce is not something we desire, right? But 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 so often he says people people just don't want to get divorced, especially men, right? They can say, "Well, I didn't get divorced, so I did the right thing." He says, "No, I think I think God's going to be much more concerned with whether or not we pursued our spouse, loved our spouse, served our spouse, submitted ourselves to their desires." that's what's going to be important, right? And in marriage, for example, if your desire is just not to get divorced, you could win that race and have an absolutely terrible marriage. And that is not what God wants for us. And the same thing with this. If we set our sights on the wrong thing, it will lead us in the wrong direction, right? If you want to have a good marriage, focusing on just not getting divorced will not lead you to a good marriage, right? If you want to have a good marriage, you got to talk about, focus on how can I love, serve, and submit myself to my spouse? You see, if you focus on the wrong thing, You may win, you may not get divorced, but you will not be doing what God ultimately wants for you and for your marriage. Hear me this morning that our problem is not that we have desires. Our problem is that we think lesser things can fulfill them. Right? God created you for desires, for your hobbies, for your passions, and you should pursue those things. However, ultimately, nothing can give you what Christ can give you. And see, what's happening here in this text is that Paul is focused on what is next, right? He's focusing on the kingdom of God. He's focusing on heaven. He's focusing on what awaits him. And it's because of that that his life here and now that he can submit himself to the to, to the good of other people because he knows that this is not all that there is. He knows that what is better, what is coming next is actually better for him. And so we can lay aside his preferences because he knows this is not what all, what, the, what, what all there is. And he knows what's coming next is more amazing and beautiful than he could ever ask or imagine. And so he's going to lay aside his preferences in this life so, again, as many people as possible can meet Jesus and grow in a relationship with him. I want to read uh, real quick. This is uh, something written by uh, C.S. Lewis who was the author of Mere Christianity. If you don't know who he is, he wrote Chronicles of Narnia, Narnia, a lot of great stuff. Uh, This is a couple of sentences long, but I think it's worth uh, saying here. And he's talking about this same idea, about how when we focus on the kingdom of God, if you're a follower of Christ, if you focus on what is next, it'll actually transform how you live here. Here's what he says. He says, hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking. But one of the things a Christian is meant to do, it does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is, If you read history, you will find that Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most about the next. The apostles themselves who set foot on the conversion of the entire Roman Empire. The great men who built up the Middle Ages. The English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world, they have become so ineffective in this. And he ends by saying this, aim at heaven, and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. Here's the bottom line this morning as we close. Here's what I want us to know from what we read this morning, and that's this, that we miss out on life, not because of what we do, but because of what we pursue. We miss out on life and what God has for us and the impact that he wants us to make individually and collectively together. Not because of what we do, but what we pursue. If you focus on what you do, that's behavior modification. That ain't gonna last long at all. But instead, if you focus your hearts and your desires on what is ultimately most important, Jesus and the gospel, it will change what you do. You will not be perfect. You will not get it right all the time, but you will have grace and forgiveness awaiting you every second of every day. And you can play a part in helping people meet Jesus and grow in a relationship with him. And my prayer for you, my prayer for me, my prayer for us as a church is that we would go about trying to be great people, trying to be loving for loving's sake, trying to do all these nice things so people can say, oh, that's a great person or that's a great church, that we would focus on what is actually important, and that's Jesus, because only Jesus can change our life. And my fear is that when we focus on the here and now, we focus on our happiness, we miss out on what Christ has for us, not just in the next life, but in this life as well. Listen to me, happiness and joy are a byproduct of following Jesus, but they are not the goal. And if you pursue happiness and joy as your main goal, as C.S. Lewis said, you will get neither. Listen, we miss out on life, not because of what we do, but because of what we pursue. The question, like we said in the beginning, is this. What are you focusing on? Are you focusing on something that's actually worth focusing on? Are you running a race worth winning? And if not, the good news is that you and I have the grace and mercy of Jesus, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, to get in on what matters and to start following him. Again, we miss out on life not because of what we do, but because of what we pursue. Let's pray.